Friends, I have to say that in uh, eight months or so of trying to figure out how to do church in this strange world, we've had very few uh, major uh, things go wrong in our, our time together. I apologize that you wound up getting the scripture readings a bit early in the service this morning. Uh, so I'm going to just uh, quickly recap our scripture from Isaiah 64, which is our primary scripture this morning, um, especially these verses 1 through 9. I want you to hear what the prophet is saying to people who are yearning for relief from the world around them. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down The mountains quaked at your presence. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. A few years ago, I had an idea for Advent sermon title series. The first week would be wait for it. And then the second week would be wait, the third week would be wait for it, and the fourth week would be almost, and I kept forgetting about these sermon titles for Advent. Year after year, I'd get halfway through Advent and then think about it when it was too late. So last year, halfway through Advent, when I thought about those sermon titles a little bit too late, I set a reminder in my phone. And a few weeks ago, that reminder popped up and it occurred to me that this year we need to think about waiting. We need to process Advent even more than ever, but also differently than ever before. I think that this year we can understand Advent in a whole new way. We have to understand Advent in a whole new way. We're doing a lot of waiting right now. We're waiting for a vaccine. We're waiting to get together with friends and family again. We're waiting to have church in the sanctuary all together again. We're waiting for so many things right now. And as we try to figure out how to capture the joy of Christmas when everything's crazy, medical advisors are saying avoid groups, and many of us have sick sick loved ones we're worried about. Maybe some of us are sick loved ones. It's important not to ignore, downplay, or hide that tension and that difficulty. If we do that, if we downplay that tension, we won't be able to truly get to the deep joy that Christ brings on his arrival. Christmas is too special to shortchange it by rushing the tension of Advent. A couple of years ago, I picked up a book by Phyllis Tickle. It's a book of essays called What the Heart Already Knows. It's a collection of 
stories and essays about Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. I really enjoy her books. I encourage each of you to look into some of them at some point. I probably have a few uh, handy to loan. And in the prologue to this Advent book, she says this. The four Sundays which precede Christmas Day itself are the calendar by which we mark the passing of the Advent season and the approach of the Christmas one. These have traditionally been times of retreat and introspection for Christians to consider with godly fear and joy the blending of our life into the divine process. In the church's scheme of things, Christmas, as such, begins and Advent ends with the birth of our Lord. The Feast of the Nativity is usually celebrated by most Christians, of course, on Christmas Eve and the midnight service. The 12 days of Christmas come to an end on January 6th, and the season of Epiphany begins. But Epiphany not only ends Christmas, it also fulfills it. By celebrating the revelation of the Christ to the whole world, the coming of the incarnate God to all people, especially to those of us who are by race Gentiles. It is the bridge from birth to life, the event that makes Easter possible for most of us. The light of the epiphany illuminates the human races from whom the kings came. Holy seasons, like holy days, were not so much invented by the church as they were invented by life itself, I think. By common consent, we hold to and preserve that which living has shown us contains the truths of both humankind and God. Advent is too holy to give it up, my friends. Christmas is too holy for us to give up the sacred bookends of Advent and Epiphany. Advent is not just the beginning of the church year or the lead-up to the main event. It is a holy and sacred time of reflection, of anticipation, and of hope in and of itself. Boy, do we need that this year. We really need a holy and sacred time of reflection, anticipation, and hope as we move to a close on 2020. Now, If you go to the index or concordance in the back of your Bible, you're unlikely to find the words Advent or Epiphany or even Christmas. Some of us might think to turn to Luke 2 for the Christmas story, the birth narrative. You might even hear Linus from a Charlie Brown Christmas reciting it. But figuring out where to look for Advent is a little more complicated. It's a bit more spread out. If Christmas is the celebration of Jesus' birth, And Advent is the time of reflection and waiting leading up to it. Where do we turn in the Bible for Advent? It's not really connected to one particular story, not a specific story as we generally think of them. But it does have a narrative. It's connected to the whole story of the Bible. There are many stories, but The Bible isn't just a collection of small stories and poetry. It tells a larger story that runs from the beginning of time to the end of time. That's why we have passages from the Old and New Testament each week in the lectionary. We're exploring how the whole thing connects. I saw a comic strip 
once that really stuck with me. It was the uh, Bible for those who decided it was too long to read. It was the too long, didn't read version. It went like this. Genesis. God. All right, you two, don't do the one thing. Other than that, have fun. Adam and Eve. Okay. Satan. You should do the thing. Adam and Eve. Okay. God. What happened? Adam and Eve. We did the thing. God. Guys. The rest of the Old Testament. God, you are my people. You should not do the things. People. We won't do the things. God. Good. People. We did the things. God. Guys. This continues into the Gospels with God sending Jesus to love the people and live in them even though they keep doing the things. By the things, this comic is referring to sin. And the people accuse Jesus of doing the things. And Jesus, of course, didn't do the things, but they kill him anyway. And even after Jesus is raised from the dead and comes to dwell in each of us, we keep doing the things and he keeps loving us in spite of it. We can't help it. We keep doing the things. And we know that we did. We know that we need God. We know that we need redemption. The Israelites knew they were a wreck, that they were a terrible mess, that they needed God. They needed a Messiah, a Savior to rescue them from exile and slavery, from war and oppression. Jesus knew the people he was talking to in the Gospel of Mark were a wreck, that they needed a Messiah. And that is the part of the broad story that we look to in Advent. That's where we go in Scripture. We look at the theme of waiting, of waiting for the much-needed Messiah. We look at this story of, we did the things. That's why Isaiah is such a popular book of the Bible this time of year and shows up in the lectionary, I think, every week. It's certainly not popular because of how easy it is to understand. Isaiah by itself is quite difficult to process. But when you read it in light of the story, remembering the situation of the people of Israel, when Isaiah is writing, it starts to fall into place. And its place, for much of it, is Advent. The people need God to come down. The end of the Old Testament is full of angst and longing and waiting for the Messiah that God promises. And the beginning of the New Testament picks up from there. From our perspective, thousands of years later, it's easy to say that the Messiah came. End of story. We are saved. But we're still a mess. We're still doing the things. Advent connects both to the ancient story of Israel and Jesus' arrival, and also to the very modern story of each of our hearts. We are still waiting for the fullness of redemption. We are redeemed because Jesus Christ came to us long ago in time and space, but we are also still waiting for Jesus to come again because, and this is where that comic ends, until he comes again, we will keep submitting ourselves to Satan's suggestion that we do the things. There's a real urgency in this passage in Isaiah. 
It says is when fire sets blaze to twigs to boil water. Fire by itself is powerful and urgent. In Isaiah's description here, the sky is torn in half with the suddenness and power of God coming down. It strikes me as strange that Isaiah adds to that. He doesn't just stop by saying, as when fire sets blaze to twigs. That could be a complete description by itself, but there's this pot of water over the twigs. This is not just an unkempt forest fire. This fire has a distinct and clear purpose to boil that water. I'm sure most of you have heard the old saying, a watched pot never boils, which is silly because a watched pot does boil eventually. It's just that it seems to take forever. It's like when you're really hungry and the three minutes you set on the microwave to reheat the leftovers feels like hours. The fire strikes quickly in Isaiah 64, but it still has to boil the water and boiling water takes time. Now, scientifically speaking, it is possible to make water boil instantly. There's a whole Mythbusters episode about this. The problem is, if you instantly boil water, it explodes. You have to let it boil naturally, or you don't wind up with any water in the pot or the cup at all. Even more interestingly, the thing that makes water boil is that the water has imperfections in it. Perfectly distilled water in a completely controlled environment will not boil. It will just superheat. It will get really, 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 really hot. And then when you drop impurities into it, say a sugar cube, it immediately boils and can no longer be contained by the cup it was in. We can look at Advent as the time in which the water is boiling. The fire Isaiah prayed for has come. It has set flame to the twigs, but the water is still boiling. And think about boiling water. It looks like it's just sitting there in the pot, but it's not really just sitting there in the pot. It's moving. It's active. The molecules of the water start to get excited. They vibrate around and bump into each other. It's the motion that ultimately causes the bubbles that you see in boiling water that causes the change of the water from liquid to gas. The water doesn't boil itself. It's the heat from the fire that boils the water. But the motion of the molecules is important for the transformation that occurs. They do not just sit and wait idly. They're busy during the boiling. I think now more than ever it's important to remember that. When we see ourselves not as the whole pot of water, but as the molecules of water that are rattling around in the pot, heating up, waiting to boil, shaking with the excitement of knowing that the boiling is coming, we can't help but bump into other molecules. We're connected to them somehow, and they are all waiting too. We experience the boiling together. This year, it's important to remember that none of us is the whole pot of water. And no molecule of water can boil by itself. We are all molecules of water shaking around in the same pot. 
Everything that each molecule does affects the others as well. Even when we are apart physically, we can boil together with anticipation. We are connected this morning through words and time, even though not through physical space. And this year, I think our anticipation during Advent is, is more, it's greater than just anticipating this particular Christmas morning that is coming. We can also anticipate the one after that that will feel even more special and holy when we're able to gather again together, having come through this year stronger and closer to God and to one another. Most of you know how much I love Advent. I love this time of anticipation. I hold off on the Christmas music, take it slow with the decorating and the cookie baking, and I generally encourage you to do the same, to build up slowly the anticipation. Don't jump into the Christmas music and the decorating and all of that too early. This year, I want you to forget that. I want you to throw away that advice I've been giving you all these years. Toss it out the window. Blast that Christmas music. Watch all the Christmas movies. I am at least a dozen Christmas movies deep already this year, beloved friends. I want you to deck your halls like there's no tomorrow. Because we need that joy this year, that reminder of hope is so important. This is a very, very different year than any year any of us have ever lived through before. And it is okay to boil differently than we have in the past. Own it. Do whatever you need to do to process the weirdness and the waiting and get to the joy. Jesus is still coming No matter how we celebrate Advent, we still get to turn over the calendar to a new church year and soon enough to a new calendar year as well. So revel in the hope and the anticipation of knowing that we will come out on the other side. This is often referred to as the Hope Sunday in Advent. So if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. There is hope. It may not always feel like it, but the message of Advent is that we wait hopefully in the difficult times. So go forth into your week in hope.